If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. Welcome, everybody. It's Podcast Unlocked. It's IGN's weekly Xbox podcast for June 28th, 2023. As we are recording this, the final stages of the uh, Microsoft versus FTC trial are happening. We expect a verdict probably sometime next week. We've got the 4th of July holiday here in the U.S. So we'll see next year's, excuse me, next week's uh, podcast could be one that has a wholly different outlook one way or the other for the future of Xbox. But for now, we are here to cover everything. And there's been some crazy stuff. Everything that's happened so far in this trial. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined as always by Miranda Sanchez. Hello. Hello, hello. Destin Legary from LA. Howdy, my friend. Bam. And our news director, very kind to, uh, to jump in today since she has been right at the front lines of all this stuff along with all of our, along with our, uh, our ace in courtroom reporter who's there right now, Rebecca Valentine. Kat Bailey, thank you for coming on. Hello. I'm happy to emerge ever so briefly from FTC land where I've existed for the past two weeks or so. It's, uh, yeah, it's what a what a tip of the cap to you and, and Rebecca and the news team. I mean, it's been, uh, I mean, Kat, just, just real quick, has there, in your career and, and on top of that, in your recollection of, the, of your entire life, has, we, has the video game industry ever seen anything quite like this? It's certainly one of the most momentous trials that we've seen in gaming history. And I mean, the closest we've seen is maybe the Apple versus Fortnite trial that happened a couple of years ago, where there was all kinds of documents were coming out all the time, crazy revelations, crazy moments, crazy memes. Uh, so that was certainly a big one, but this one has a slightly different tenor because it will probably decide the the course of the games industry for years to come. So it feels like for as much at stake as there was in that particular case, it feels like there's even more so here. And I would argue from a semantics perspective for for our listeners, for us, that case, while I agree with you, there was all kinds of crazy, interesting stuff in it. 
it was more or less about it was about mobile gaming. It was about Fortnite on mobile devices. This is about core console gaming, even though mobile's a big factor of it. Uh, so I, I would argue it. that that's that's why <laughs> at least it's, it's hitting me closer to home. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> the arguments are that the whole the whole thing is about mobile, though. Like that's the main crux of what Microsoft is saying. And there's emails where they actually remark that Activision's revenue like 30% of it was from call of duty. And yeah. that was sort of when they were, were early on. So yeah, mobile is a big part of this. And I think that has definitely been shown throughout the trial. I don't know what's your read on it, Kat. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we've known for a while now that Xbox definitely is the most interested in being able to um, acquire King. One of the things that I'm, I find really interesting is the console industry is so secretive and there have been so many candid moments throughout this trial, like Matt Booty kind of offhandedly saying that Xbox could basically spend, outspend Sony possibly into oblivion or talking about very candidly with Pete Hines uh, kind of coming, having the exclusive decision sort of come down from on high and seemingly catching him very off guard. Uh, hearing about Todd Howard call Starfield irresponsibly large. <laughs> hearing Xbox say, yeah, uh, Project X Cloud as we know it has just not lived up to expectations. Uh, our contributor, Shannon Lau, wrote an excellent analysis yeah. titled title that basically said, Xbox, this is a kind of a mask off moment for Xbox all that PR bravado over the past several years, here's what they're really thinking on the inside and Sony too. And it's very interesting uh, from just, just given how controlled the messaging is in this business. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure like, like you alluded to Sony as well, we've gotten a little taste of, of Sony and sort of the behind the scenes stuff with them in this. But if, if the roles were reversed, if Sony were the ones being, sued by the US government to try and block some large acquisition. You know, I think we'd we'd probably see the same kinds of of uh executive plots and machinations going on as we're revealed it, in court documents. We're seeing it with Jim Ryan, right? I yeah. mean you saw Jim Ryan saying offhandedly just in a conversation uh internally in Sony, it's like, eh, we're we're gonna keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for years to come which in some ways reveals uh, just sort of how bad faith some of his arguments have been in describing it. But then also you get to see a lot more of the thinking that is happening behind the scenes there. So there's definitely a lot happening with both Sony and Xbox in this trial. Yeah. There's, there's the email that was entered into evidence cat between Deering and Ryan where Deering basically says, why are they buying Activision? For, they could have hey, got Destin, three. Real quick, for our audience, remind everybody yeah. who, who Mr. Deering is. I, you probably know better than I do, but <laughs> who's Deering? Isn't he, he's, he's just one of the senior Sony people, right? Mm. He's, yeah, he's a senior person at Sony, and there's an email between him and Jim Ryan, and uh, Deering's making a comment that like they could have got, they could have got, uh, uh, Call of Duty for three years for $5 billion. They're spending $70 billion to get this company. What are they thinking? They would have been better off announcing an electric car. <laughs> like, they're throwing shade during the announcement. And that's where we got the quote from Jim Ryan, where he's like, 
we'll be more than fine. We got big things coming. I'm not worried about it. And uh, it was, it's just really fascinating to see that peek behind the window. And then also to see the exchange between Phil Spencer and Jim Ryan, where it seems like Jim Ryan is trying to leverage the initial five-year contract that was presented to get more time and also to get the Bethesda games back on the PlayStation console. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. It's just, it's just fascinating to see corporate emails between two of the biggest people in the industry playing their business roles, doing their thing and using corporate speak to sort of try and one up each other. It's yeah, really, I, it's, it's really fun to read. I, I don't know what you guys thought. I'd love to hear from Miranda first on this is because when I was reading that stuff, like it, to me, I, I wondered specifically with the Jim Ryan email, um, do, do you, do you guys think I'll start with you, Miranda. Do you guys think that, that, uh, before Jim Ryan clicks send on that email to Phil Spencer, that every single word of it has been gone over very carefully by their legal team, knowing that like anything that could be said, because it read that way to me, it did not read oh. very naturally. Yes. Like Kat's also shaking her head fervently. Yes, absolutely. Like having even worked with our own legal team, like I know how much has to go into any sort of communication regarding any sort of legal aspect of communication with another company, like there is a lot that goes into that so that you're not accidentally putting your company in a place where you could agree to something, even if it's just, you know, documented in that way that it's fine. And this is the reason why, like a court case comes up and now you have to show all your receipts. Like you don't get to hide that. So you have to make sure that that is all vetted and properly done to the best way possible. Of course, that is most advantageous to your team. So I think that, that was not uh, sent like over quick coffee in the morning or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm not criticizing Jim Ryan for that, by the way. Like, yeah, when there's you have when to you're do the head of a multi-billion dollar corporation. Yeah. You every, everything has to be super deliberate. It also reminded me like I, I write all of my emails as if they could one day be read by somebody in the outside world. I'm always very careful. Like what if this were to leak somehow? Like I better, you know, just always, you always want to keep the thought in the back of your head when you're, you know, when you're when you're dealing in the in the business world with other companies. Um, all right. I want to start. We're kind of wandering a little bit. The, I've I've broken out what I think are a lot of the a number of the most interesting topics as the headline of this this episode suggests. So I want to go through those. And if you know, if any of you have any other ones you want to throw in, uh, feel free to do that. But I'm going to start at the top with Starfield here. So again, these are all articles from IGN, from Rebecca Valentine, Kat, Kat Bailey and the news team about just covering this as it happened. Phil Spencer confirmed Starfield was potentially going to skip Xbox prior to the ZeniMax acquisition. Spencer said during the trial, of course, Xbox quote, needed to do a lot of work with a lot of partners given the competitive situation we had against the market leader, referring to Sony. He also said Xbox was worried about losing Starfield after seeing Bethesda titles like Ghostwire Tokyo and Deathloop head exclusively to PlayStation. Spencer said Xbox had to secure content for its platform by way of the Bethesda acquisition to quote, remain viable in the business. So I'm going to I'm going to drop my second F bomb in 2 weeks. Uh not a habit, but you know, I think it calls for it in this case. I feel like that this the, the entire Bethesda acquisition then as framed by Phil there 
it can basically be summed up as Sony's exclusivity deals on Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo were them fucking around and Microsoft <laughs> buying all of Bethesda and Zenimax so that they couldn't do it again to Starfield, to Elder Scrolls Six, to anything else with Sony finding out. Destin, would you agree with that, that very um, crude assessment? Well, yes, but also <laughs> there was some indication, and we have that tweet from uh, Imran, where he said that there were rumors that Sony was going to lock up Starfield exclusivity. So Xbox said, all right, you want to play PlayStation? Let's play. Here's a couple billion dollars for Bethesda. Let's lock up that exclusivity. And they did that. Then they bought Phil Spencer's favorite game, Destiny, <laughs> by buying Bungie. And he's like, oh, all right, you want to play? Let's play. Minus no, the part I'm, where every single, I'm having a little fun. Yeah, where Bungie yeah. said everything they do will continue to come out on every platform. Yeah, but Sony very clearly does not like there's going to be a rev share in the near future. Should this deal go through yep. with call of duty revenue? So Microsoft probably felt the same way about destiny, right? Cause there's going to be a rev share agreement with that property. Sure. And, and they have 70 billion to throw at call of duty to be fair though. I think they made a very strong case that the call of duty acquisition was about mobile, but we're talking about Bethesda right now. Sorry, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Cat, uh, F A F O. Is that is that a fair summary of this of of the Bethesda acquisition? Yeah, I think that is a very fair uh, s summation of the Bethesda acquisition. But you also saw Xbox being strong armed in other ways as well. I mean, we were just talking about Activision. Bobby Kotick was uh, apparently trying to extract a greater rev share for Call of Duty. And was successful, yeah, as he said. Yeah, I we can take it off Xbox right now. And Xbox yeah. was like, we didn't really have a choice in the matter. So you have to believe that part of the calculus was Xbox looking at what was happening with these publishers and these huge games potentially missing Xbox and kind of doing what they had to do. So Miranda, that's, very, that's very astute. Uh, Miranda, this this uh, pretty much solves the whole question of whether or not elder scrolls 6 will be exclusive or not oh yeah and there's like more on that too that i think yeah, we'll, we'll talk about exclusives in a second but just on this point of starfield potentially having been a sony exclusive that feels almost counterintuitive to map booty of course this is in 2019 having said that xbox was going to spend sony out of business or like what like had the ambition for it it's like Obviously, that's this isn't didn't happen. They acquired Zenimax, but it almost makes me worry. And I guess a little, it's weird to say, like a little glad that they got Zenimax, just because it's like put your money where your mouth is, and they did um, to make sure that things like Starfield are on Xbox. Like the fact that Sony snagged so many exclusives for them is kind of a, a huge deal. And the fact that they could have also lost Starfield would have been wild. You, you know who else would have lost Starfield? PC gamers. Because yep. Sony's history is that Starfield would not have seen the light of day on PC for at least like probably two or three years. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no there's no PC version in sight for Final Fantasy 16. We've seen this with Sony's first party title. So, yeah, so, I mean, well, let's build upon that. They almost lost Starfield to PlayStation, so they bought Bethesda. They also around the same time almost lost Call of Duty entirely 
from the Xbox brand. And there were talks about acquiring Square Enix that fell apart and they did lose Final Fantasy. Right. So look what happened with Final Fantasy 16. They weren't able to lock that deal up and finish that acquisition. So now Final Fantasy 16 is a PlayStation exclusive. And look, look, everybody's talking about Final Fantasy 16 and how great it is right now. And Square has been very favorable in terms of their partnership. They've been espousing positive things about their partnership with PlayStation and the console. So it's been a very good play on Sony's part. And Xbox's counter is the Activision deal and the Starfield deal. Uh, so on the subject of further ZeniMax and Bethesda stuff, <laughs> this is nothing, this is not a revelatory thing, but worth mentioning because again, it came out, it came out of an Xbox executive's mouth during under oath testimony. The Elder Scrolls six which I think we predicted this exactly either last week or the week before, is still five plus years away. Uh, Phil Spencer speaking about it, saying it's many years away, but it's a game we have announced we would begin working on. I think we've been a little unclear on what platforms it will launch on, given how far out the game is. It's difficult for us right now to nail down exactly what platforms that game will launch on. More on that in a minute. As I said with <laughs> Elder Scrolls Six, it's so far out, it's hard to understand what the platforms will be at this point. It's the same team that's finishing Starfield, which comes out this September. So we're talking about it being likely five plus years away. Uh, and so, yeah, I I would put $100, probably more, on Elder Scrolls Six never seeing the light of day on a PlayStation console because I'm just going to skip right to our next piece. Phil Spencer seemingly decided to make all ZeniMax games exclusive in 2021, in a 2021 meeting. Destin referenced the uh, the a piece of this earlier at the top. We can come back to Destin on this, but during Xbox uh, Chief Financial Officer Tim Stewart's time on the witness stand, the FTC called attention to a chat conversation from November of 2021 between Stewart and Xbox's Matt Booty, who of course runs Xbox Game Studios. The two were messaging about a recent monthly business review meeting between Xbox and ZeniMax where Spencer apparently made the call to make all ZeniMax games exclusive going forward, not just new IP. Stewart was asking Booty about what happened during the meeting because he wasn't there. And Stewart asked him, asked Matt, all games going forward? Not just new IP, but all games going forward and with all in caps? Wow. Booty confirmed this during the chat conversation, writing, quote, Phil told them all titles going forward, Xbox exclusive. The two went on to discuss how pulling all Bethesda titles from PlayStation would cause profit issues in Microsoft and ZeniMax's deal model. Quote, we will have accountability margin issues in the deal model as we pull a huge number of PlayStation units out of the model, Stewart noted. So, Destin, uh, the Elder Scrolls Six and everything else, Indiana Jones on PlayStation. Yes, including Indiana yeah. Jones, which we mentioned. We were able to squeeze that in on last week's show that had just happened when we were recording. Mm -hmm. Well, some things must have changed since this conversation because Fallout 76 remained multi-platform. There's some internal documents about it being on PlayStation Plus and how that actually ends up being a net positive, or I believe that was it. But, but anyway, that's a game that's already out, though. Yeah, that correct. Came so out. Fallout 76 and all the expansions and ESO and all the expansions. But yeah, 
all games going forward. So Indy, Elder Scrolls Six, the next Fallout, and they've they've alluded to as much. And today, during the closing arguments, Kat, you were listening or watching along on the steno at least, and the judge seems to be saying, "Well, Sony does that. What's the big deal?" <laughs> and I, it's really refreshing to have a judge that's very candid in ribbing the people that are trying to convince her because she was also doing the same to Beth near the end where she was like, I know you didn't want to be at this trial. I read the emails. <laughs> so it's, it's been fun. I'm just saying that. Uh, cat. Sorry. <laughs> I, I am curious here. I mean, it, it, you paid seven and a half billion. This isn't shocking, right? That we're, that they're keeping everything exclusive moving forward. No, but the, I don't think, the FTC has done an amazing job of arguing its case just as a legal neophyte, just kind of watching from afar, I suppose. But the one maybe glancing blow that they were able to land, I think, was when Pete Hines was on the stand and FTC, the FTC was pointing out, it's like, well, you have a track record, Xbox. You did make the Xenomax games exclusive. And so what's to stop you? And there was a, there's a lot of talk uh, about how Jim Ryan had the alarm bells ringing and such. And there's a lot of evidence pointing to Jim Ryan, for example, seeing that they would get PlayStation would get five years with call of duty. And then after that, it's an Xbox joint. Right. And Xbox keeps talking about how we hate exclusives. We hate exclusives. But in point of fact, Zenimax is kind of shows that no, they will absolutely make games like Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six exclusive if it suits them in that particular moment. Um, as for Elder Scrolls Six, I should mention, I think we've kind of known for a long time that it's still in pre-production. Yeah, and because Todd Howard and his team have been fully focused on Starfield and getting Starfield out the door. And they're not really ones to multitask so much. I mean, they're, they're doing work on Elder Scrolls Six, but I wouldn't say main development has even started. So it's not surprising, especially in light of Matt Booty's earlier comments that, hey, games take more than a half decade to make anymore. What's crazy is that uh, at this point, Elder Scrolls Six was announced five years ago. And, and by the time it comes out, it will have been announced 10 years before. Wow. Is that wild? That is wild. I hadn't really sort of looked at the timeline like that from a 10,000 foot view, but you're absolutely right. Boy, I don't know if old. (laughs) I guess Duke, it won't have Duke Nukem forever beat because that that was in development for like 13 years. So it wasn't, you know, it had an even longer gap between announcement and release. I mean, Starfield's been in development for almost 10 years at this point. It started right around the time that Fallout 4 was released and that came out in 2015. Right. So, but, it, but they didn't announce it, though, for a while. No, they didn't, but it was already in development. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Miranda, we've, this is something we've talked about on the podcast before, but now that we have a, a clearer idea of it, would you agree that the Elder Scrolls Six is now the single biggest game looming in the entire Xbox portfolio, including whatever the next Halo is? <laughs> I would say yes, because I think it, I mean, 
Just think about Skyrim. Think about where that's gone. It's been on a freaking fridge. Like 60 million copies, according to Todd, when, when I interviewed him a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it's like such a universal game that I would put it like on the level of that one game that everyone knows, even though they don't play games. Like, like kind of like Call of Duty, but in a very different kind of way because it's yeah. a different kind of approach. Um, and it's one that so many people go back to. Obviously, there's a huge modding community for it. And there's just so many ways to approach it that I think all eyes are going to be on that one. And what Microsoft chooses to do with that, I think is going to be really important, given that it is so far away and they keep talking about how they have these plans for the cloud. Like the cloud has been such a big conversation and I know we'll probably get into that later. Um, but there's a lot of ways this game could come out. Like we don't know what their plans are. I mean, honestly, okay, this might, this might make some people angry or worried, but what if... What if this game also comes out on mobile devices? Like, what if it is also optimized for mobile? And you may be like, wait, 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 but wait. There are a lot of games in production that are either also on console and mobile or are being currently just like existing in that state. And they do so well. And of course, you're kind of like, Miranda, you're going to say Genshin. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to say Genshin. That game is beautiful. It is so much fun. It has constant content updates. It runs interestingly on mobile, but it still runs. It still hits that free-to-play target audience. Am I saying that Elder Scrolls is going to be free-to-play? No, but I'm saying that that market is really important. And I think this case is actually leaning into that a lot. Um, so one big tell for me too is like, so The Sims has a massive audience. The Sims 5, Project Renee that they're working on right now, that's also going to launch on mobile and console at the same time. Like they are making sure and like they've been doing these dev streams to show like their challenges of developing for both so that they work well and still have a great like new shiny experience. And so like, what if that's part of the plan? Like what if like we don't know how this is going to shape up? We don't know what the future is supposed to look like or what they're pushing for. Because at the end of the day, even though Microsoft wants these things to be exclusive, they've also been saying how they want to reach gamers wherever they are. And that could also play into it. Great point. Also, the fact that 60 million copies for Skyrim, you can't reasonably expect that again. That's not, <laughs> at least not on existing console platforms. Like that's... Well, I disagree. Destin, I think it could be bigger. Well, <laughs> well with, on, a... with mobile, that's that's where I'm going with it. With, sure. or to Miranda's point, if you, if you have mobile in there, it really... The data... The Go data ahead. that's been presented in court suggests that console, the console market's flatlining, like it's not a growth mm -hmm. sector. And that's Microsoft's whole argument about why they are getting into mobile. Mobile is the fastest growing sector in the gaming market. And so many, you know, core gamers just criticize it or sleep on it. But no, there's so much money in mobile and games like Candy Crush and Call of Duty Mobile are cash cows for Activision. So. I, I think your your head's in the right place. I do think it could be bigger, even if it's just like some sort of ancillary addition that includes mobile in some way. Mm -hmm. I think Miranda's hit the nail on the head. I, I it's 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 become we're seeing more and more of this, and and Genshin's such a quintessential example of how that model can be massively successful. That if you're you know if if you're Todd Howard and you're Bethesda and you're Microsoft. It, and you're trying to grow the business, you're trying to grow your everything, then that's, you've got to be looking at that. And you've, 
you know, and you've got to be looking that five years into the future about, well, where are we going? Because, you know, we, I think we talked about it on this show. I mean, we've, we've hit it a couple of times, but most recently a week or two ago when we had said, oh, Elder Scrolls six, probably 2028. Well, what does that align with? The, the next generation console launch, the series Y or whatever it's actually <laughs> going to be. But series Z. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it's going to be. Uh, but, but that's a small installed base at, at the start. Now, you know, that's a game like Elder Scrolls six will have a super long tail, but, but yeah, how do you, how do you grow it? You know, you, you get it out onto mobile and PC and console, you get it onto everything at the same time. I mean, Skyrim being as big as it is, obviously it has spanned a couple of generations with remasters and, and, you know, sort of re-releases, but it came out, it didn't come out at the beginning of the 360s life cycle. It came out halfway into it, uh, more than that, actually, sort of the back third when the installed base was already significantly large. So it was able to get off to a huge start and then just kind of keep that momentum going into the next generation uh, and where it has just continued to become this this absolute sort of um, just undying eternal game. Uh, Ryan, so, I have yeah. one quick counterpoint, though. Please. Which is, as beautiful as Genshin Impact is, um, I don't think it... I, I think that Todd Howard's games have always been technology-focused and scope-focused. True. And so a lot will depend on how far mobile technology has come in five years and cloud technology has come in five years. I mean, a lot of this trial has been about how cloud has just not taken off in the way that Xbox has hoped. So yeah, it could happen. You, you're, you make a lot of valid points about how console technology is kind of flatlining. Mobile has really gotten a foothold. Genshin Impact is an example, but we'll see where the technology is in five years. I mean, uh, you know, you brought up cloud and I certainly don't discount that point, uh, but mo- mobile technology is increasing a lot faster than console technology is with a new iPhone every year, a new, you know, a new Google Pixel or, or you know, whatever the Samsung flagship phone is, where, yeah, in five years, I'm not saying that it's going to be the equivalent of the Series Y or the PlayStation 6 or a high-end PC, but maybe there's, a you know, a version of of Elder Scrolls Six that actually could run on a modern phone. It's it's kind of like cloud or like, no cloud. Yeah, to your point, Ryan, isn't it like kind of like Call of Duty Mobile, Fortnite, other things? Well, Fortnite's a little bit different, but there are mobile versions of existing big games that work really well for a good reason. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they figure out a way to make that work within the next few years or that they have the ambitions to make that work within their cloud technology. Like why not stretch and use the resources you have to make something different? And again, I know everyone listening is probably, or not everyone, but there's some people out there like, God, no, please don't say this. Don't say this. But that's not killing the version you're going to have. It's just offering another version to the kid who is still five years old right now and is going to be 10 when this game comes out and wants to play a game on their phone because that's all they do. And they want to pick it up and not have to pay anything because their parents pay for Game Pass already. And then they just get to download it and play like that. It's, it's all so much about like how games are being consumed in different markets that are not just our own. And that's the really it's, hard thing to think. Like if you have looked at the mobile game market, it is so much different from what it was five years ago. It's not yep. like it, Candy Crush is still huge, but it's not just Candy Crush. It's not just Clash of Clans. Like 
Roblox, Fortnite, Genshin, and tons more are like it's kind really of growing big. up, right? Call of Duty. Yeah. To say? yeah. This Call is Call of Duty, Duty mobile yeah. footage. PUBG yep. Mobile's like huge. People really sleep on the technology advancements that have happened. And imagine that you could play Elder Scrolls on your phone and do like a mission or something while you're on the go. And then you come home and you turn on your Xbox Series 19 or whatever it is at that point, <laughs> And your save continues there. Or you turn on your Steam Steam Deck too. Like that's the 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 different tier of where you can play or how you can play, right? So I, I think you're really on to something, Brandon. I think your point's well taken. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. This week's podcast unlocked is brought to you by NordVPN. Hey, if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D. And that'll give you four extra months on the two year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I, I got to hustle along here because unfortunately we do have a, we have a limited window today uh, due to the production schedule. So next up real quick, just in case anybody out there <laughs> still didn't believe it, under oath in a court of law, Phil Spencer told the judge, quote, I will do whatever it takes to keep PlayStation, excuse me, to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Uh, so the full quote from Phil is, uh, I would raise my hand. I will do whatever it takes, he said in court. We have no plan. I'm making a commitment standing here that we will not put Call of Duty. It is my testimony from we PlayStation. Will. We will not pull okay. it. Pardon me. I said that. Yeah, I yeah. very much yeah. Uh, said the wrong thing there. 
We will not pull Call of Duty. It is my testimony from PlayStation. As you said, Sony obviously has to allow us to ship the game on their platform, which I'll hold that thought. But absent any of that, my commitment is and my testimony is that we will continue to ship future versions of Call of Duty on Sony's PlayStation 5. And then after break, he came back and reiterated, hey, I'm not doing some sort of word game. All future versions of PlayStation, all Call of Duty's parody, like he said it basically every way he could say it. And then the next day- In a court of law. Nadella reiterated the point. So yeah. yeah. So there you go. So there's there's that. Uh, Sony just has to play ball, which is not guaranteed because here's the next piece that I wanted to share with all of you. Minecraft doesn't have a PS5 version because Sony didn't send Microsoft PS5 dev kits, according to Phil Spencer. Quote, Sony was reluctant to send us development kits for the PlayStation 5 version at the same time they were sending them to other developers, which put us at a disadvantage relative to other developers. I think Sony could have sent the development kits to Microsoft just as easy as they sent them to any other publisher. Now, uh, you can certainly play Minecraft on a PS5 through compatibility on PS5 of the PS4 version, so you're not totally uh, out of the out of the cold on that. But um, that was that was another interesting piece of this. Now, Cat, you and I are both big baseball fans. I couldn't help but think of MLB The Show when I heard about this. As far as like a future situation, if you have angry Sony that wants to you know, not play ball with, pardon the phrasing, with Microsoft. But what happens when the PlayStation 6 comes around and the Xbox Series 37 and and MLB, it's MLB that's insisting, hey, we want our game on all of these platforms because we want as many people to have access to our baseball game as possible. So, Kat, what's Sony to do then? Sorry, what is the question exactly? <laughs> I guess it's it's if so, so Sony apparently you know not not wanting to uh, really make it easy for Microsoft to uh, to put their games on its machine because of course you know they they don't want their you know it's the rev share thing all, all mm. these different sort of seemingly petty corporate reasons but MLB the show it's MLB that's saying mm-hmm. it wasn't Sony that volunteered to put MLB the show mm-hmm. on Xbox. It was MLB that said, uh, we want this. Yeah. So if, if Sony doesn't want to give PS6 dev kits to Microsoft in four years, well, what's going to happen then when MLB is like, hey guys, hello, we want our system, we want our game on the latest Xbox system? That's an interesting question. And I think it speaks to a lot of the central questions, a lot of the central tensions in this trial, which is what what do exclusives mean exactly? Are they actual game changers? And Xbox has been kind of putting their case on saying, well, actually, we don't even like exclusives. I mean, the Microsoft CEO came out and said straight up, actually, we don't like exclusives. And if I could get rid of exclusives, we could. It doesn't make any economic sense. We should have all have of our no games on all of the platforms world. all of the time. Um, and so when you're looking like at, but then at the same time, you're seeing people establish that actually, yes, exclusives do have a lot of currency on these individual platforms. Starfield being an Xbox exclusive 
matters. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy 16 being on the PlayStation 5 matters. And so there's been so much back and forth on this particular conversation. And the way that the judge lands on this may say a lot about where the industry goes over the next several years. Well, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right to boil it down. I mean, if, uh, <laughs> if one, one judge could actually sort of hold really not, not the, could not the whole like fate of the, the industry, but kind of determine which road we go down here over, over the next, you know, five plus years. That's uh yeah, that's an astute observation. And I just want to point out right. what's at stake here. If this does not happen in all probability, if the preliminary injunction is allowed to hold, and that's not a high bar to clear for the FTC, I should point out, if that holds pretty solid chance that Xbox just walks away from this merger. So this they, haven't they said as much? Haven't they based, have they more have they actually they testified said that, and Kodak testified that it's done? Yeah. I believe. So this is kind of it. This is the ball game. Right here. Yeah, which will which will make mm -hmm. next week's podcast even more fun than this one, which make is sure already fun. Popcorn ready. Yeah. Exactly. Wish I had mine. <laughs> let's say let's say it does go through though. It's not done. They have the CMA tribunal with their appeal. That's still ongoing. Yeah, they, they could, could like, still do, end up pulling out of the UK. They could completely pull out of the UK. There's another case uh in August that I that the FTC would have to drop. Like if the FTC lose this, loses this, are they still gonna go to the August case? There's a lot that could unfold after next week. And we're, we're going to get verdict next week, right, Kat? I guess the judge yeah. can take as long as well, she decides. Either Monday or Wednesday. Thereabouts. That's what our read Kat. is, or has that been said? Um, Rev was kind of saying, I think it's probably going to be Wednesday. because, But it's kind it's of hard today? to say, honestly, because <laughs> the judge has been a little cagey about what's going to happen. But I, I'm thinking Wednesday at this point. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kat, but as I was preparing for the show today, I came across this. I believe the, the judge technically has until July 18th. Is that correct? Uh, I did not see that number. I'll have to, I'll have to circle back. But I, I mean, I'm, I, I can't imagine she's going to let it linger for, no. for too, too long no. after, you know, two weeks of of uh, of testimony. And, please and all not this Monday. Stuff. She... I'm not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, we've, uh, we're very fortunate to have an uh, extended holiday weekend here. She made a joke about the weekend and everybody else gets a long weekend, but she doesn't. So I think it's next week. Yeah. Um, for our international listeners, um, our holidays on July 4th, which is the Tuesday. So a lot of us have Monday off as well, which is why we would assume that the, the verdict would come in on Wednesday. All right. So two more real quick. I'm just going to buzz through these because I want to spend some time on Rebecca Valentine's fantastic investigative report on the status of perfect dark and what's going on at the initiative. So, just these last two, Microsoft considered buying Square Enix. I think you heard Destin mention it earlier in the podcast. Uh, this is a document from 2019. They had an internal sort of uh, meeting and said, "Ah, yeah, we should we should be taking a look at these guys." And they were particularly drawn to not necessarily Final Fantasy, but by their strong mobile portfolio. So again, bringing bring the mobile focus back into this. Uh, there, another reason Xbox should buy Square Enix, according to Microsoft's own internal discussions, is it would have provided, quote, mobile segment growth for Xbox. Buying Square Enix would have helped, quote, 
future mobile exclusive Game Pass offerings. So we'll see if Game Pass ends up extending its reach into mobile at some point down the road. Um, but that was that was interesting. And then again, zeroing in on mobile before all of this, before Activision Blizzard, Phil Spencer confirmed that Microsoft tried to buy Zynga, which Take Two bought for twelve point seven billion dollars. And I believe it was either early 2021 or early last year's uh, in the last couple of years. And Spencer admitted Microsoft spent, quote, quite a bit of time working on an acquisition, but uh, it didn't end up working out. He says, I have a lot of respect for the people at Zynga and what they've built. In the end, for our opportunity, we thought we needed to have something that was even bigger than what Zynga was given our very, uh, that Zynga was given our very small starting space in the mobile game business. Now, uh, we've got 11 minutes left here. I encourage everybody to go read this. Uh, If you just search IGN Perfect Dark Reboot Years Away, that's that's certainly plenty enough to to get the headline, which is Xbox's Perfect Dark Reboot is still years away. Rebecca Valentine, who uh, is still in that courtroom working away, working hard covering this thing for IGN, but this, she's been working for quite a long time on this piece. Actually, Kat, I'm going to throw it to you here because you've been working very closely with Reb on this and and walk us through kind of the highlights here in the last 10 minutes that we've got. Well, I originally commissioned this piece uh, from Reb because we were talking about how we wanted to look into what the heck was going on with Xbox at the time because when I originally commissioned this piece, it was February, March, thereabouts. And we were coming off 2022 and there was a lot of question marks going on with them. And so, and I had heard a lot about how uh, internally that there were potential problems going on with the initiative that Xbox Game Studios uh, had a very laissez-faire approach to how they ran everything. And that wasn't necessarily working for a lot of studios. And Rev, in her customarily enthusiastic way, went in and started digging into this. And she came back to me and said, well, the initiative is like one that I've been hearing a lot about. So we ultimately decided to focus in a lot more on the initiative. So the first thing I want to say about Perfect Dark is that it seems like it's making progress now. Yes, that is the the optimistic bottom line here. One of the reasons that it took us a while to get through this was the development team didn't necessarily want... Uh, they were a little hesitant to come in because they're like, well, we don't want to paint ourselves as like this, some kind of disaster project because we are making progress now. But it hasn't been an easy road. It's been several years at this point. The project was fully rebooted in 2022 in Unreal Engine. And it just reminds me that game development, it's not that romantic. It's project management. And it's, from what I can see, it's not been a particularly well-managed project. They had big ideas, big plans coming in. The the term quadruple A was thrown in. (laughs) That was, yeah, the announcement of the studio. They said, this is a quadruple A studio. Yeah, a job listing mentioned that. And they also apparently used that term internally. Quadruple A. And they wanted it to be a transmedia thing with tons of... Uh, merch and all of those things. And it was going to be a tentpole pillar franchise for Xbox. And they had these big ideas about how it was going to be a a spy game with all of these gadgets and everything. And it sounded really cool on paper, but they couldn't 
get the core gameplay loop going. They didn't have a they didn't have a vision. They had a very high level vision, but they didn't understand how to make it work in really concrete mechanical terms. And that caused them tons and tons of trouble. It had it resulted in trouble with certain affinity who kind of got fed up and they ended up basically breaking that relationship off. And Which, let, me, let me just pause you right there real quick, because that's something that we didn't know until mm. Reb's report. You know, we we knew about the when when they quietly at like 5 p.m. on a weekday tweeted out, oh, Crystal Dynamics is our co-development partner. We were all like, that's interesting. Uh, but it turns out they were not the first certain affinity, which is led by ex Halo designer Max Hoberman, who's worked on a lot of they've done a lot of Halo work and you know they've, they've kind of done a lot of stuff. That they were the original co-development partner on this. Mm -hmm. Certain Affinity is a kind of a support studio, a tech studio. They do a lot of uh, extra foundational work, but they're not necessarily there to steer the vision. And it seemed like Perfect Dark wanted them to help steer the vision and make this thing work. And they're like, well, we're not really here to do that. And so that was one of the big problems going on with this project. And a certain, I should mention that Certain Affinity has come up before certainly in relationship to 343. So they're, they're a recurring thread um, throughout Xbox. But the story here to me is they had a big ambitious vision. And as has happened so many times over the years, they couldn't turn that into an actual video game until relatively recently. I mean, so we'll see what's going to happen. But from who knows, maybe we'll play Perfect Dark on whatever the Xbox Series Z is. Because at this point, it sure seems like a long way away. Yeah, I'll, I'll read the kind of a big, big takeaway towards the end of her piece. And then I want to get the reactions from Destin and Miranda before we have to duck out. So the initiative in Crystal Dynamics, or rather Team Perfect Dark, as they kind of refer to themselves internally now, seem to at last be making progress. Perfect Dark is now further on than certain Affinity's vertical slice from 2021 and with stronger foundations, though it still has a long way to go. All my sources with recent knowledge of its status say it's still in pre-production, roughly two to three years away from release, though I agree with you, Kat, that if they're still in pre-production on a quadruple-A game, it's probably going to be more than that. It's still an FPS balancing combat and espionage with an emphasis on spy gadgets, some experimental movement tech, and a focus on narrative. All music to my ears, personally. Recent plans seem to be leaning towards some kind of episodic format though the exact form and shape of it has yet to be determined and could still change entirely before release. Miranda, your reaction to sort of the saga of Perfect Dark here and where it's where it is and where now that we know a little bit about it where it's going. I think it, it is funny to me that they're like we got a merch plan, we got shows plan, we got the whole ecosystem. It's like, "Oh, we don't even know our games yet though." Like does anyone I mean, I know Perfect Dark isn't exactly new, but I'm I'm I just turned 30. I know nothing about Perfect Dark. I'm on this Xbox podcast. I was like, I kind of don't know if I care about this yet. I guess we'll see. And it's like, if you can't even sell someone like me on it immediately, like, why are you trying to blow up the world with this, right? Like, it seems yeah. like just throwing money on a fire. And a little, I, I cart, little cart before the horsey on this one. Exactly. And so I, I, it was really good to see that they've shifted to make sure that they get the train back on the track. And it's like, let's focus on this game. Let's like focus on making this something that's really cool and works within like this neat spy idea, right? Um, I I know that there's some questions about potential 
our episodic format. If they said two to three years away from release, I could see the episodic thing working as far as it being maybe like instead of a two to three hour or five hour experience, maybe it's like a 10, 15. And that's like an episode. Like it's a shorter focus game. And that's why they call it maybe an episode rather than massive open world, whatever. Like they want to keep it focused, which honestly, I think that's fine. We don't have a lot of those games and some short games are phenomenal. Like you don't need to go and explore every single nook and cranny that's in a whole world in order for it to be fulfilling. I think especially if they wanted to focus on like spy gadgets and experimentation. I mean, there's a lot of games that do that already. I mean, honestly, like look at Hitman. Look at the variability there. Is that it's there's a lot to do there, but it's not like it's an Assassin's Creed. You know, like there's a lot you can do within it. And especially if they want to take it as a story based thing, I think something that is more condensed and focused that does rely on that like neat tech that they're trying to innovate, as was noted in this report. That's what's cool. I mean, I think that's like a better path and just focused, then build out. Destin, can can quadruple A and episodic coexist? Or if you're trying to keep people subscribed to Game Pass, does it even matter if you're releasing an, you know, an episode, a chunk every few months or a couple times a year? I think the quadruple A thing, I think that was just like a remark or something that they've already covered off on in the past. I don't remember specifically what they said, but that dream is dead. There's no more quadruple A studio. The VGC report that came out like, what was it, a year ago where they showed how many people had left? Like that that studio is was not in great shape. You don't lose most of your, like 90% of your team. (laughs) I know there's turnover, but you lost like everybody. So the idea that you're going to come back from that is just not realistic to me. And people have criticized me for saying that I don't, I don't think perfect dark is in a good state because there's no way as a studio, you lose that many people. Well, they brought in crystal dynamics. Yeah. And at that point they probably rebooted everything. Because, like, I don't know how well, Crystal did. Dynamics shows up. Yeah, absolutely. Did. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how Crystal Dynamics shows up and then just like, oh, yeah, cool. Let us just pick up where you left off. <laughs> like, no. Uh, and to the episodic content idea, I really don't like that. Just release a game, please. Like, you don't need to nickel and dime me with, like, 40 different DLC expansions every quarter. They tried it with Halo. It didn't work great. It took them like three or four seasons to figure out a cadence with Halo. And even Halo is on rocky ground. I think that experiment is is done. I don't think that's a smart route in my opinion. But anyway, there, that's just my two cents. Is there a case in blockbuster gaming history where episodic has actually really genuinely worked out? Well, that was sort of what I was getting at is I feel like that's that they've they've those have not been compatible things historically. Even, you know, even Hitman, when it it came back as was episodic, (laughs) it was still not looked at as like, it was kind of looked down upon, I would say. It sold quite poorly, too. Yeah, exactly. It did. So we shall see. Everybody go read that great report by Reb. There's way more detail in it than we had time to cover off here. I want to thank our super producer, Tayo, for even, he pulled Perfect Dark Zero footage from uh, from the 360. (laughs) That was awesome. For Cat. For Miranda and for Destin, I'm Ryan. This was Unlock 601, the future of Xbox. The next time we do an episode, we might have a, a whole new course to, to look at. Um, so should be a good one next week as well. We'll see you then.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.